Good morning, Springbrook. Thank you so much for braving through the rain to come here today. So wonderful to have you. Well, yesterday was the big day, the big event, the royal wedding. Now, how many of you got up at 6 a.m. and watched it live? There are more in the first service, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rob, really? You got up early? That's good, man. That's good. You're going to have a story to tell for the next 25 years because the next royal wedding will probably happen at that point. You said, I saw it live back in 2018. How many just DVR'd it, taped it? Anybody do that? Lori and I did that. We watched it a little bit later in the day. But it really is an unbelievable global event. Harry and Meghan getting married. Let's look at some stats here. The royal wedding, 2 billion people watched media, which meant they had some interest in terms of either watching the wedding or watching the late show of the wedding or uh, hearing it on the news. I mean, it was a worldwide event, but you think that's about one-third of the world. And then 3 million people saw it on Facebook. Or, or what they did is they, they put a status down 24 hours before the wedding. So they said, hey, looking forward to the royal wedding. $8 million was spent on security and $1.4 million on the wedding itself. Now, ladies, imagine what you could do with $1.4 million in planning a wedding. <laughs> well, that would be a great time, huh? So it's gone. I, I was kind of searching the web, and I saw... Uh, that there was a podcast on the royal wedding. And it said, the greatest story ever told. Or the greatest love story that is ever told. And I'm thinking, I don't think so. <laughs> we know what the greatest love story that ever told has been, right? It's about Jesus Christ. It's about God loving us and God coming to save us through Christ and we glorifying him for all that he has done. Today we're starting a new series on the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a story of how the early church begun and how it flourished. And I am really excited to get this series going. There's so many great passages to look into and learn from and be inspired, on, inspired in. I just want to encourage you here at Springbrook, to be self-feeders. Just don't depend upon maybe one Sunday a week to get your spiritual feeding. That's never going to work. I'm here to inspire you to go further into the Word of God. And so as we study the book of Acts, I would encourage you to read through the book of Acts. Maybe several times, maybe a chapter a day each month. Yeah, make it your own. Get online and go to these online Bible study tool sites where you can get commentaries and, and study Acts yourself. Take it another level because really that's how we grow. That's how we accelerate spiritual learning is through our tag time with God, 15 minutes and, and Bible study, actually sitting down devoting time to studying the Bible. I mean, you think about going to school, continuing education. 
you got to put in time, right? You got to read books, you take quizzes, and that takes time, oh, friends. We're talking about the purpose we're here on earth. So we need to engage and, and encourage you in that. Now, for you to fully understand the gospel, or excuse me, Acts, the story of the church, you have to understand the big picture. The big picture. So we're going to go over here, and we're going to go to the time when God existed, but nothing else existed. God, you know, He's eternal. Again, always been here, always will be here. And He was self-sufficient. He was all-knowing. He was all-powerful. And the Trinity, there was a, a community just in that sense that they had fellowship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he didn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. But he chose to create people. He chose to create a a new kind of life form in order that this life form might be stamped with the image of God in order that he might have a loving relationship with people, in order that he would glorify him. If you're the creator, you're creating everything to glorify yourself. That makes sense, right? So we're made to love God and to to glorify him. So this is, uh, again, pre-existence period, I guess you could say. And then he said, okay, I'm going to create people. And the first thing I need to do is I need to create, oh, flying around. It's the wind. He created the universe. The universe, I mean, when you study the universe, it's just mind-blowing in regards to how massive it is. We cannot even get our minds around the universe. But he created it, and he created it for us. He did. And then God decided that he was going to create a planet, the third rock from the sun, right? A planet. And this planet, he was going to just invest all of his creative energy into making this one of the most fantastic things ever in the universe. And it is when you compare it to the rest of the universe. Why he takes so much time? Because... He wanted to have a love relationship with us. And he created a a garden, a beautiful garden where people could get to know him. And, of course, our parents were Adam and Eve, the first people that God created so he could have a love relationship with them and so they could glorify God. Now, he created Adam and Eve so they'd live eternally. They'd live eternally. That was the intention. Well, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, that was what we call the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That was the fullness of the kingdom. Spiritually, physically, the kingdom was present. This was perfection. God and man and communion in the perfect place. Now, I know well, you might not be crazy about hanging around gardens, but if God puts you there, you'd love it. Okay? So, so that was the fullness 
of the kingdom, that particular period, the kingdom period. But, of course, we know that Adam and Eve rebelled against God in a moment of weakness and temptation. They did the one thing God said don't do. They took took the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, you can have all these trees, but don't touch that one, right? And they did. And that brought unbelievable pain to the world because they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. They say, hey, we want to be like you, God. We want to do it our own way. Because of that, all types of things happen. It's called the fall, the fall of man. First of all, they were ushered out of the garden because they... He didn't want them eating from the uh, garden, uh, excuse me, the tree of life, because they would live forever in this fallen state. So he got them out of the garden, he clothed them, and he continued to care for them. But it was much different outside the garden because God had cursed the world because of the problem of sin. Because of their rebellion, the earth was cursed. And that's why we have all of this wild, destructive weather with hurricanes or tornadoes and tsunamis. And How about volcanoes? You watch the news lately? I mean, I'm just fascinated by watching this lava move so slowly but take, it, take out everything in its tracks. But that's not God's will. God never intended that, that volcanoes uh, would erupt and, and kill people. That's part of the curse. But the most significant thing that happened in regards to the curse was that death was brought into the world. Death. And they were supposed to live eternally in their bodies, but there was no reason for that now because they lived in a fallen world and death was one of the penalties. Now, we wouldn't live forever in terms of our own bodies, but we would die at a certain point. And then, of course, there's eternal death because every person that God creates is going to live eternally. And they have to make the decision whether they believe in the gospel or not so that they might have an eternal life, not an eternal death. People say, well, why is the punishment so severe? Friends, when you think about hell, that is the opposite of the holiness of God. If you want to understand how holy God is, reflect on hell and say, wow, God is unbelievably holy. That's something we continue to learn and mature as as Christians. How much God hates sin. And of course, we we struggle through diseases and sudden death or some type of Illness, it takes us slowly. We have all types of problems with our body and our minds. And why? Because of the curse. Because man rebelled, and we continue to rebel against God. Now you think, oh, wow. God's agenda for this earth, uh, to be in a loving relationship with people and have them glorify Him, it looks like things don't look too good, right? Well, God has has an agenda for planet Earth. And he had to change his strategy, I might say. He didn't change the agenda, but a different way 
to get back into relationship with man. So we had uh, the kingdom, the full kingdom in the garden. And then we have the law, the period of the law. This is when God shows Israel as his chosen people, only the, the, the Jews. Uh, nobody else received God's graces but the Jews. And he commissioned them uh, to go out and glorify him, right? And he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, and the 600-plus other laws that go along with it. And they said, you need to obey this law to please me, to obey me, to glorify me. And, of course, the purpose of the law is to help us all realize, and especially the Jewish people, that you cannot please God. There is nothing you can do or say because you are a sinner. And God is holy, and he can't even get close to you in the condition that you are in. So that was the period of the law. The law was given to show how sinful these were. And then we had the whole sacrificial system. And that's when people realized, yeah, I have sinned, and I need to seek God's forgiveness. I need to, again, sacrifice an animal or something else to show God how sorry I am. And through their faith, they became children of God. The sacrificial system which foreshadowed the death of Jesus Christ. In this period of the law, you had prophets coming and saying, how, how can you be like this? Why can't you obey? Why do you keep running away from God. And the whole purpose of that period was to establish God's holiness and to communicate to man what God expected and that, of course, we couldn't do it. And then, of course, we have when Jesus Christ came to this earth, through a virgin, as a baby. And that was during the law period. And he came to live as the God-man for several reasons. First of all, it was just to, uh, just to fulfill the law. That was one of the purposes of his life, to say, yes, this can be done. You can live perfectly, <laughs> right? If you're Jesus, if you're God. And so he fulfilled all the law, and the penalty of not fulfilling the law, of course, is eternal death. But Jesus went on the cross as a perfect representation of both God and man, a man who had not sinned, but God at the same time, and he bore the burdens of our sinfulness. He took all of our sins upon him, and he paid that penalty. Instead of us experiencing eternal death, we now can experience eternal life. By knowing the good news of the gospel, he died, and he was buried, and he rose again. From the dead, the resurrection, the most important thing that ever happened in regards to Christianity, that Jesus Christ conquered death. We have the period of the law. Jesus Christ dies, bears our sins, makes it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father, and then he rises from the dead, and he appears. And, and this is when the church period starts. Okay, so we go back over our periods back here. We have the kingdom period in the garden. They sinned, and so we went to the law period, which you see 
in the Old Testament. And now we are in a new period. After Christ's resurrection, we move into the church period. The period when we are given the mission to share the gospel with everyone that we know. Because again, if you don't have the church period, there's so many people who are going to miss out if they're not told. Because we have to tell the gospel. We say, hey, Jesus Christ loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He died for you. You need to repent and believe and give your life over to him. That's the whole purpose of the church age. That is the role we play because someday, someday Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And what he's going to do is he is going to establish the kingdom period again. With some of the kingdom back there in the Garden of Eden, right? And then uh, we didn't have the physical kingdom. One might say we had a spiritual kingdom throughout that time. But now we come to the end when God God establishes a new kingdom of God. It says we're going to have a new earth and a new heaven. And we are going to be holy because of what Christ did. And we will once again be able to commune with God as Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we will live perfectly in every way. There will be no pain. Amen? There will be no pain. We struggle with pain every day. Some of you chronically with pain. There will be no more pain anymore in the kingdom period, with the new heaven and the earth. So you see, it's so important for us to see the big picture so we can realize what period we're in and what we're supposed to do. Now, those people uh, in the law, uh, the, the Jewish people, they didn't have the responsibility to share the gospel because the gospel had not yet come. But after the gospel took place and became this good news, That is our role. This is what we need to do for God. This is God's agenda for us. It goes back to the original meaning, original purpose, that we are to love God and glorify Him. That's always been the agenda. He had to change things up for different reasons, but that's always been the agenda. So this is critical that we know why we're alive today. Why we're doing daily life is to tell other people about Jesus and glorify Him through our life. And that is what we're going to talk about as we look through the book of Acts. Let's turn to Acts 1. 1. Now, Acts, excuse me, Luke uh, was a doctor. Uh, educated man. Uh, he was uh, very meticulous about detail. And of course, he wrote the book of Luke, the story of Jesus, and he wrote the book of Acts, the story of the church. He was kind of like a guy who makes documentaries. He's got his first documentary in Luke and a second documentary in Acts. Now, he's writing to a man named Theophilus, and we don't know a lot about Theophilus. From what we do know, we might gather that he is a very influential person, probably a Roman 
person of influence. And uh, we also know that he was a Christ follower. And that Luke was recording this not only for Theophilus, but obviously uh, for all of us. It became part of the canon in Scripture. So he says, in the first book, that's the book of Luke, right? In the first book, he wrote that also to Theophilus. Oh, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's saying, in the book of Luke that I wrote to you, I dealt with all of that until the day when he was taken up. And that's the ascension of Christ. Now, that's also included here in the book of Acts. But if you, if you read uh, uh, Luke 24, uh, you'll see there where he records uh, Jesus Christ instructing his disciples and then Jesus Christ ascending it. So he's kind of picking it up here, going back a little bit. He had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, we have Jesus Christ giving orders, giving assignments, okay? Saying, okay, guys, <laughs> plan of the, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, the game is uh, different here. A- and he basically did this, this 40 days before he went to be with God. He did this time with the disciples in order to build their confidence, in order to put all the pieces together. We like to play with jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. Uh, obviously, if you like to play with them, <laughs> you dump it out, and, and you're just amazed at all the different pieces, and they look very similar, <laughs> very, very similar, but they are very different. So what Jesus Christ did to the disciples who were still very confused about why Jesus was there and what they were doing, where they were going, he kind of put the jigsaw puzzle together so they could see the pig picture so they can understand why certain things happen during the life of Jesus ministry and what the cross was all about and what the resurrection was all about he had to bring them up to speed in order that they might carry the message forward this is the really amazing thing is that Jesus Christ entrusted his ministry to disciples and these guys were nothing to write home about. They were fishermen and tax collectors and different type of people that you would never dream God would pick to carry the precious gospel forward. But he did because God likes to work through ordinary people, right? He likes to work through them. And here we see that they're experiencing this. In Acts 1.3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. What was Jesus Christ doing during these 40 days? Well, he was letting the disciples know that he truly was alive in his glorified body. I mean, he walked through walls and Thomas said, I don't believe it. And said, I'll touch uh, the holes in my hands from the nails. And he had a wonderful fish fry, as we talked about there, uh, with Peter and the gang. Uh, that was a miracle, miracle catch of fish. And at one point, he appeared to 500 people at one time. And a lot of people say, well, you know, the disciples, they made this all up. And they say, well, people were just hallucinating. 
They were thinking, oh, yeah, Jesus did come back. They were lying. Well, friends, 500 people cannot be in a group hallucination. Does that make sense to you? 500 people can't be with Jesus and say, yeah, he was alive and all have the same story in the sense of it was a hallucination. It wasn't. Jesus Christ, his life is more attested than any other life in history. That's because he was God. He was really important. So he had to convince the disciples that he was the Son of God and that they were going to go out and tell this good news about him. And he had to make sure that they really understood because meant, as you know, uh, I think most of the 12 disciples uh, were martyred. John, we're not sure, and the Hallows of Patmos. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the question is, would you die for a lie? Would you die for a lie? Let's say that you followed somebody, and they said similar things like Jesus did, and the person dies, and you never believed the guy in the first place. Are you going to die for him? Are you going to go out and boldly proclaim that he was the Son of God, and that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and that people's lives can be transformed, if you're living on a lie and you know it, are you going to die for that person? Of course not. Of course not. The reason that the, the disciples were able to go forward, the reason that they were able to be used by God is because they believed it. They believed that Jesus Christ had come to this earth and died and rose again. And they didn't care if they died, in a sense, because they were just going to heaven after that. Upgrade me, if you want. That was their attitude. I mean, this life is nothing. I'll live it and tell people about Jesus, but I don't really care for, care for it that much. Acts 1-4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So what did he say? Don't, whatever you do, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, Jesus was again on the earth about 40 days after his resurrection. And what, what Sunday is this in the liturgical calendar? Anybody know? The day of Pentecost. Pentecost, right? When the early church began, because April 1st to, again, May 20th, 50 days or so, that's when they celebrated. And so liturgical churches uh, in the area are celebrating Pentecost, and we're celebrating it too. <laughs> we don't follow the calendar, but we're celebrating God's church and how it's brought his, brought his healing and transforming power uh, to so many people. Now, we're going to talk about Pentecost in about two weeks, so we'll get into that, but today is the day of Pentecost, and we celebrate with other Christ followers. So order them not to depart because they needed the Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, like 10 days, we know. It says you've got to stick around because you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I say, well, what does that mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, Again, the disciples and others knew about God's Spirit. Because it's mentioned many different times, the person of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament 
Ezekiel 36 talks about the fact that the Spirit would come as is happening here. Uh, different people were given the Holy Spirit at certain times. You look at Joseph's life, the hand that the Lord was on Joseph is repeated like five different times because that was the Spirit. David said, do not take your Spirit from me. That's the one thing after he had, uh, again, committed adultery and murder. He said, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I need your Spirit. So, in the church period that we're talking about right now, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God that was in the Holy of Holies, actually comes into our bodies. Wow. I mean, the Holy of Holies, you know about that, right? The Holy of Holies, where they had to put a rope around the guy that went in there, the high priest, in case he touched something wrong. They could pull out his dead body. That's where the Holy Spirit is right now. He's within you and I. And his power, the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead, that power is available to you and I as we live our daily lives and love God and glorify him. That's exciting, isn't it? I mean, you look at the disciples, and they were not the A team for carrying forth the gospel. I mean, really. (laughs) You know, they they just weren't who you'd pick for the most important team in the world. Again, he picked the disciples because they were ordinary people, and the difference between the disciples and the apostles was the power of the Spirit. We're ordinary people. Every one of us is pretty ordinary, but we can live an extraordinary life because the Spirit is within us, and as we seek to submit to Jesus Christ's Lordship and walk daily with Him, we will experience the Spirit of God. Have you ever had that experience when something happens that's just unbelievable? I mean, you're praying about maybe a physical issue or a relationship, and all of a sudden, boom, it changes. The person changes, or, or your, your body changes physically. And what do you say? God had to be in that. That was only God, because there's no other way we can explain why the tumor disappeared. God was in it. The question we have to ask is, how much is the Holy Spirit engaged in our life if we want to see the same type of miracles, if we want to be used by God in that kind of way? We have to walk with the Spirit. He's with us all the time, but we need to abide in Him, walk with Him, and give our life over to God and say, Lord, use me. And the Holy Spirit will start showing up in your life. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, this is, again, I've, we could go like three months on this passage. There's so much good stuff here. Uh, but again, the, the disciples, what was their expectation all along? Well, that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and we're going to help him lead. 
Now, where did they get that kind of idea? Well, they got it from the Scriptures. If we look back at some different prophecies about Christ, uh, this particular prophecy would fit into a suffering servant-type motif for the Messiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah prophesies. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Got a virgin giving birth to a son. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, that sounds like somebody who's going to be a servant to us, who's going to take care of us, who's going to meet our needs. Now, at the same time, they were studying this particular uh, passage in the Old Testament. Zechariah, on that day, the Messiah's feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Does that sound like a suffering servant? I don't think so. That sounds like a conquering king. So which is it, the suffering servant or the conquering king? Well, it's both. It's both, and you can't blame the disciples because as you look at the passages in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming, both these things are included. In fact, some scholars believe there were two different Messiahs because they were described in such different ways. Again, the idea is, yes, Jesus Christ came once, but they didn't know that he was going to come again. They didn't figure on that, so they said, well, it must happen a lot, especially after he rose from the dead. Well, we really now have the leverage to, to take over Rome and get things done. Amazing. He's going to return in this particular way, and he is going to be the Messiah that they have sought after. What they didn't know, again, that there were two different returns. Just like if somebody prophesied to me back in 2000, the Chicago Cubs are going to win the World Series. Two times. Unbelievable. No, no, it can't be. This has to be a miracle from God. And so I experienced 2016. I say, oh, God was right. The Cubs did it. And then a year goes by. <laughs> Maybe two. <laughs> Maybe a long time. And the Cubs don't win again until 2099. We be kind of wonder what's going on with the Cubs? 2016 was the pinnacle, and now we've just hit. <laughs> we've hit the valley. We're not coming out of this thing. These people don't know what they're doing in the Cubs organization. And we don't know that they're going to win again in 2099 because we just experienced it. It's got to happen soon. And the disciples say, the Messiah has come. So we're expecting the kingdom to come right now. But they didn't know that it was so far away. That was their frustration. That was their confusion. Jesus responds to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Then, guys, we've talked about this before. <laughs> I can't tell you. I don't know when it's going to be. 
But I can tell you that between now and that point, you have a role on this planet to fulfill the agenda, and that is to bring people to Jesus so they can have a loving relationship and glorify Him. So that's the reason we're still around after 2,000 years waiting for the second coming because God wants to wait as long as He can that as many as possible can come to know Jesus. So again, here's the big picture. This is so important to understand. You've got to understand the big picture of the kingdom and the garden and the period of the law and the period of the church. And, and then the last piece is the kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth. Again, Jesus Christ is coming back in the second coming, and he's not coming as a baby. No, he's coming as a conquering king. And he's going to ride out of the clouds with a multitude of angels behind him. And everybody's going to see it. You will not need CNN or Fox. Wherever you are, you will see it happen. And he's coming back to judge. He's coming back to judge whenever you think, oh, why isn't there any justice? He's coming. You just got to wait. Everybody's going to get their due except for those of us who claim the grace of God, right? Thank God. He's coming again, and he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth, and the kingdom will be established physically. It happened in the garden. It was established physically, but he's going to do it again, and there will be no sin, and we will live eternally with him because of his grace instead of experiencing Eternal death. But we don't want anybody to experience eternal death. So that's why we need to to do everything that we can to tell other people about the love of Christ. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now you know this verse. You've heard this verse many times. Maybe you've memorized this verse. Because this is an important verse. It talks about what we're supposed to be doing here. We talk about the Great Commission in Matthew. Therefore, we'll make disciples of all nations. Well, this is very similar to it. It just states it in a different way. That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He was saying, we're going to tell everybody. Uh, Jesus, in fact, this verse is an outline for the book of Acts. If you study the book of Acts, the church begins in Jerusalem, and they keep spreading the good news, and eventually it moves out to Judea, Judea, the, su- the surrounding area, and then Samaria, which is another culture close to them, and to the end of the earth. So this is a critical verse to understand. This is the outline for the book of Acts. You're going to actually see these things happening. And what what are Christ followers to do? They're to witness. They're to witness. You know how to be a witness? Maybe you see an accident and it goes to court and you're there as a witness. Now you're not there as an expert witness. No, you, you don't know anything about cars or accidents or whatever. You just say, this is what I saw. I saw this accident take place. 
Now, you have to be a very gregarious and outgoing type person to witness. No. You can say, I saw these two cars. I mean, all you have to do is speak to be a witness, right? Well, yeah. And that's what God is asking each of us to do, just to be a witness. One of the things we're going to encourage you to do as we go throughout this series is to put your story together. Put your story together, what your life was like before Christ, the pain and the challenges and and how you came to Christ and how he transformed your life. And then, again, what's happened afterwards, how God continues to work in your life. And that is your witness. Nobody can put it together but you because you experienced it. You witnessed it. And God says you've got to tell that to other people. Just that simple three-minute story. You don't have to be the Bible answer, man. No. You just need to know about your witness, your experience. You don't have to be outrageous and outgoing, stuff like that. No, you can be a very quiet person. Very quiet. You can tell somebody your story. You know what? There might be some people here where the people at their work do not even know that they go to church. Sometimes when people are shy and they don't want to, you know, it's not comfortable to talk about. What will people think about me? They keep that secret. Now, friends, <laughs> when you think of all that Jesus has done for you, it's okay, I think, in any workplace to say, I went to church. Anybody, that would not be true? I went to church. What did you do yesterday? I went to church. Now, if you've been keeping a secret, they'll say, what? Maybe not that. But you went to church. What are you doing at church? You never told us that you went to church. What's going on with you, man? And you know what? Other people will come around because you announce it to everybody. And they'll say, you know, I go to church too. I know Jesus. You'll start to have relationships. I'm just saying, it's so simple to witness. And a good place to start is, I went to church, and you're on your way. Can we do that for Jesus? Can we do it? Yes? Yeah, come on, I'm working hard up here. Yes? No, that's what I want. Yeah, we can do that for Jesus. You know, thinking about the royal wedding, royalty. You know, the, I mean, you watch The Crown or other shows on royalty. I mean, we've always been fascinated with British royalty for some reason. I mean, it's Americans' pastime. But friends, you have to realize that if you're a child of God, You are royalty. You're royalty, a a priesthood. You're a child of God. You're just even, I don't know where Harry is spiritually. (laughs) You're not just a child of a queen. You're a child of the living God. And someday... Someday the kingdom is going to come. Someday the Cubs are going to win. Someday Jesus is going to return. And we're going to celebrate because we are the bride of Christ, the church. 
And he said, Men oh, excuse me. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to him, these are the true words of God. Now that's uh, Revelation 19. If you want to read about the future, the description is in the last chapters of Revelation. But we are royalty. And it's so important that we continue to remind ourselves that we dwell on the fact, I am one of God's kids. And that makes me really, really special. Not because of anything I've done, but what God has done for me. Friends, I'm just praying that we would become more bold because we're God's kids, we're royalty, we're heading to a, a marriage supper with a groom and what he wants us to do, what our agenda, what our purpose is, is to love him and experience his love and tell other people. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, this passage is uh, so powerful. So powerful, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I, I just ask that we would go home and read over this passage again and think about who we are in you. We're royalty. And you've given us a job to do on this earth, and that is to carry out your agenda. And if it just starts with admitting to others that we went to church, let it start there. Let it continue to grow and flourish. And may we be known as a church that loves to tell the good news, loves to see new people come to Christ. Oh, Lord, that is my prayer, and that is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.